This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today, I am just delighted to be joined by Dr. Kate Sage. Uh, she's with Curos Biosciences. Uh, I got to meet a lot of her colleagues recently at the Castelvi Spine Meeting down on Duck Key in Florida, and they were just such a wonderful group. I made a lot of friends that night, and they put me in touch with Dr. Sage to talk about her really interesting backstory, um, as you'll hear in the uh, coming episode here, uh, that led her from a previous life wearing a different hat as a clinician and a surgeon, now completely gone from clinical practice and into the medical corporate side of, of the world. So Dr. Sage, welcome to the show. For our listeners, please take a moment and introduce yourself. Yeah, hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, like JP said, um, I'm Kate Sage. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, to uh, two medical parents, as it so often goes. So my dad was a vascular surgeon, my mom was a nurse, and then um, my sister and I both went into medicine. So um, I, I, I did my training in Grand Rapids, and then I did a foot and ankle fellowship in Baltimore and was in practice for uh, several years uh, until COVID hit. So at that point, I um, was thinking about what to do. And in Michigan, we were pretty well shut down for a period of time. My practice was really elective as a foot and ankle surgeon. Um, I was operating at ASCs pretty much all the time. Um, and I started just kind of like looking for other things to do during those, those months of 2020 when there, there wasn't a whole lot going on. And I ended up finding Curos. So um, I was really interested in the company for, for a couple of reasons and, and ultimately ended up joining full-time in April of 2021. And so now I serve as the Vice President of Medical and Scientific Affairs for the company. And um, I, you know, I'm still board certified. I still have a license to practice in Michigan. And I still do occasionally pick up um, just locum tenens shifts. So pick up weekends at like a level three trauma center, which is really fun. Just kind of bread and butter ortho, like hips and distal radius and ankle fractures. Um, but, but other than that, this is kind of like my full-time thing now. Yeah, well, that's what they say. Never let the license expire, right? So, yeah, I guess so. Um, I, I think, you know... If I were a good podcast host, I would have actually checked this, but offhand, I do believe you are the first non-spine orthopedic surgeon we've had on the show. Um, and so let me ask you, because obviously this is the neurosurgery podcast, but Dr. Wang's a spine surgeon. I have a strong interest in spine. We talk to a lot of spine surgeons, uh, and we've had a lot of orthopods on from the spine world, but we never really talk to them about why orthopedics. We mostly talk to neurosurgeons, and then, like I said, the orthopods, it's all about spine. So because you're the first non-spine orthopod we've had on, what, what drew you to orthopedic surgery? Yeah, I mean, so I think, oh, it's so funny to think back on those days now. Like, I'm far enough out that thinking about, like, medical school years, like, I just feel like I was a totally different person back then. But what I loved about orthopedic surgery, I mean, I, I think I always wanted to be a surgeon. Like, I always wanted to work with my hands. Like, I really grew up kind of idolizing my dad, who was a surgeon. Um, and so I always wanted to be on the surgery side of medicine. Um, I did several rotations, and I think what I really liked about orthopedic surgery like, was multifold. Like, I liked that you get to take a, take a patient that has, you know, a fixable problem, like a fracture, and, and there's a way to make them better, like get them walking again, or a patient who has, like, a degenerative joint and you can replace it 
like thinking of a knee or something like that. Neurosurgeons um, don't have that luxury. Exactly. <laughs> we don't do a lot of fixing. I don't, I don't really think about nerves or brains too much. Yeah. Um, but, but that was what I really liked about it. I liked that sort of like immediate, like hands-on approach, get somebody back to a quality of life that they didn't have the day before because of their MBA or because of their like fall down the stairs or, you know, whatever, whatever thing it was. Um, and so it's, it's a really fun specialty. Um, I will say that I, you know, I did my spine rotation, but it was never, um, something that it was like high on my list of what I wanted to do a fellowship in. Um, and I, I will actually blame a spine surgery for like the day I went into labor with my first child because <laughs> we're, we're, I was like a, I was a resident. I was like very pregnant. I'm like, I have my compression socks on. Oh, I'm like God. trying to keep my belly from like hitting the table and I'm like retracting in this like super long spine case. And like that night my water broke and I'm like, I know it's cause I stood all day oh, yeah. in that spine case. So, um, that, maybe, maybe from that day on spine was just not going to be it. Right. They ruined it for you. <laughs> um, well that's actually that's interesting so you were you had a child during residency mm-hmm. you were on the job while you were that pregnant and I, I was gonna ask I mean we've done several conversations on this show about the role of women in neurosurgery trying to recruit more women into the field and all of the efforts that's been done by WINS that's the women in neurosurgery group within our professional organizations and so I would imagine and, and kind of fold it in to ask you what drew you to orthopedic surgery that that decision could have been somewhat daunting, much like neurosurgery and most surgical specialties. Historically, it's been a very male-dominated field, and I think as someone who went through medical school more recently than you somewhat, um, that's probably the last lingering, really like the stereotype of the ortho bro, right? Like we, we would always joke about the ortho 500, was that your step score and your max bench press had to sum to 500 or greater. Yeah. And like that, that like, <laughs> You know, the, the ortho bro stereotype has lived on, at least as a joke within medical school. Yeah, so for sure. I, I imagine there was some, at least maybe trepidation or potential for it to go into a field like that. Yeah. I mean, I like take it as a compliment when people call me an ortho, ortho bro. Like, I love it. I like him. To- nice. I like totally stand up to that stereotype to some extent. But I mean... Yes, you're right. I think that it can it can be daunting to like look at the group of people that are ahead of you and see like no women. I will say I had great mentors and like amazing senior residents who were really, really supportive of women. And I wasn't the first like female to go through my program. So there was some precedent for that. Um, That being said, I mean, yeah, I I, I think that more and more women are doing these like traditionally male kind of subspecialties. And um, I think it's like very much more out there that like women can be treated differently but like people shouldn't treat them differently and that you know there's a lot of support and mentorship opportunities for women and I, I just keep seeing it get better and better and I guess if there are any women listening like it can be done I mean like there's challenges whether you're a man or a woman and just find the right people to like support you and help pull you up and um you know don't take shit from anybody if you you can help it. Um, am Amen. I allowed to swear on this podcast? Absolutely. You can beep that out if you have to. I, I refuse to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, world. Here yeah. I come. Um, yeah. So I think, um, you know, find the right people to surround yourself with. There's, like, mm-hmm. certainly programs that are, I think, more more friendly towards towards women and, and, and some that maybe have, like, not such a great reputation for them. Yeah. Well, so that's really interesting. So... As you mentioned, kind of you're you're in practice then, a nice elective practice, Michigan locks down from COVID, you're looking for other things to do. 
I have to imagine, as you said, you idolized your dad growing up. You always wanted to be a physician, wanted to be a surgeon. Could not have been easy to walk away from that fully, right? Like you pick up some shifts here and there, but yeah. your day to day life, you're not seeing patients, you're not fixing things. Oh, for sure. Right? Like being an orthopedic surgeon or like a surgeon in general or like a practicing doctor, I think. And, like, I think I can speak for all of us. Like, it's very tied into our ego. Not, like, our mm. ego, like, I'm great. Like, but our ego of, like, who am I? Like, if I'm not a surgeon, yeah. who am I? So they're definitely, like, like, these are the things I am, right? Like, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm, like, a wife and a mom and, like, I don't know, a good person, or hopefully. But, like, the what you hang your hat on. And so there definitely was a period of time when I was switching out of my elective practice and moving like into this industry role where I felt like this just tumultuous sort of like question of who I am inside. And so I, in the early days, I picked up a lot of locums because mm-hmm. I really thought like I am, fr- I, I will very likely go back to a private practice, like maybe once COVID's over and I can get some like great OR block time again and <laughs> um, patients, you know, want to come back and we'll, I'll have, you know, nurses and scrub techs and everybody. Um, but it, it, it did take a little while to let go of at, at this point, I'm like totally over it. Like yeah. I can, I can name the things that I miss about surgery and truly like what I miss the most is like from the moment I glove in, like sterile gloves on, finish scrubbing, like walk into the room, like that minute where I'm like with the patient, like operating, fixing somebody, making things better to like the minute I scrub out <laughs> and, then, and that is like what I miss. And that's what I loved about being a surgeon. I mean, the rest of it, you guys can all relate to, right? Like, there's just um, paperwork and people and call and the after hours phone calls from the office yeah. and the residents, no offense. <laughs> um, sure. And the nurses, no offense there either. But the, the rest of it is like, I don't really miss that part of it. I just really miss, like, yeah. the actual surgery time. You know um, what? Now, now you've piqued my curiosity because I... I have this whole soapbox that I get on and I've talked about it sometimes on the show, but like the, the different cultures that different groups of patients will have. So like for us, there's vascular patients and they all have some similarities because they've all got there through one path. And the tumor patients are all just normal people who find out they have a tumor. Spine patients are chronic pain people. They're obese people. You know, they, they all kind of have these illness scripts like they would say in medical school. Yeah. But there's these patterns that things fall into. What's a foot clinic like? Yeah. What are those people yes. like? Yes. Okay. So yeah. my, my favorite patients were my like ortho foot and ankle patients who were like sports injuries. So okay. like, um, you know, like loose ankle. Ideal surgical candidates. Yeah, exactly. Young, healthy, <laughs> fit, young, right? healthy, like motivated. And yeah. they have like a real problem that you can like see on MRI and they're like, their clinical symptoms correlate perfectly. And like, you know, you have the mm-hmm. surgery and you've done it a million times and it's like, feels great in your hands. You can like fix it. Yeah. Or like another example would be like an Achilles tendon rupture. Like love that surgery. Like this is somebody who was out playing a sport and they ruptured their Achilles and like, we're going to fix that. And like, I know that we have protocol and they're going to be great. Um, so the other side of that is like, you know, maybe like our diabetic foot patients who are yes. <laughs> just referred to me from like the wound clinic and they have like Charcot collapse and they have, yeah. you know, you know, bone that's like they're walking on. Um, that on their sounds ru- like on our their people. Yeah, yeah exactly. that sounds familiar. So, um, yeah, and they're like vascular paths too. So, yeah. I, yeah, I don't have to explain how that affects a person overall. Um, so you're right. There's the, the two sort of different groups of people. And I, I, you know, you manage, you manage both and you take care of everyone to the best of your ability as much as you can, right? Like you just have to do the best for everybody. Yeah. So I was 
I was operating earlier this week and we were, you know, it was like a, I think a, a longer day. We had like four cases and it was the last case of the day. And it was the, the same team who was in there through the whole day, which as you know, as everybody knows, like you, you kind of, you get a good vibe going through the day when you've all been together yeah. for so long. And, uh, we were joking around we were talking and, and some of the scrub nurses were talking about their role in the OR. And then the device rep was talking about his role in the OR and he was doing a great job of being self-effacing. And he was like, oh, you know, you guys are the best. You know everything. I'm just here to support you and, <laughs> and help you. And I'm like, are you kidding? We're in training. Like half the time I look at you and I'm like, does that look okay? Like, how do I use this? Which way do I turn this? And, and so we, we got into this analogy of like the knight would have the armorer and the squire, right? So like the knight is the guy that goes out there and, and fights, but somebody has to pick the weapon. And someone has to equip him and put the stuff on oh. and help him do it. Or like in golf, you got a caddy, and the there caddy will okay. make recommendations. I'm following like the golf analogy better than there like the knight and All like right. the, the dragon. Taking off my nerd hat, <laughs> but yeah. So in golf, you've got a caddy who not only like you know physically helps, but will suggest a club to use. Oh, maybe try the you know that this yeah. one or that one. So in your old job, you're the knight, you're the golfer, you're yeah. tiger, right? Yeah. You're you're the one out there swinging the club, and now you've transitioned to a, not, I guess not a device, but a bone material, yeah. bone growth uh, yes. stimulant. The bi- yeah, the company's the all biologics. biologics. Right. Yeah. So now you're the person putting the tool in the hand of the one to use it, right? Yeah. And so that's a very different role in surgery writ large. Yeah. What's that? It's- yeah, because you're used to being yes. the, the one using stuff, right? Yeah, it's funny. I don't think of it like that though. Like, so I I'm not well. I, so okay. So on the industry side, like there is the commercial team, right? There's like the yeah. salespeople and like device reps and people that are in the OR and like really assisting. Right. Like, so you're not in the room. Right. I'm not in the room. Right. I do still kind of feel like I'm like the knight of my department. Like, right. and, but it's, but back to this knight analogy, I'm like, so what's like all the knights together at the round table? Like I'm one of many, right? Because yeah. there's me who's like the clinical person that can like direct how this goes. So you laugh, but you know the round table. I know the round See? table. Exactly. See? <laughs> and, and somebody's got to pull the sword out of the stone or out Whoa! of the yeah. Yeah. Um, But then the rest of the people at the round table are like, really smart people too right because there is there's the people that are like the phds that are actually like inventing new things right i mean so like one of the products that we have that's like way on the pipeline at curos is in phase two of the fda right now but it's forteo in bone graft form and these are like phds who like came up with this concept and then figured out how to like make it into a product that can get through fda testing right and so on the same side of that there's like the knight that like is in charge of all like the quality and regulatory and like working with the fda and that's a job i would never want to do but they are so smart at it that like some and they're kind of like the knight that's in charge of that and then beyond that there's like all the things that you think of when you think of industry, right? There's the night that's in charge of like marketing, like globally yeah. or in the U.S. or sales. I mean, you just met our SVP of sales in the U.S. Um, yeah. Max Selby. So it is kind of like a, it's a team approach. And maybe I'm not like at the very top of the hierarchy for the whole company, but I also wouldn't want to be because I don't know how to get things through the FDA, right? right. Like, I don't know how to like 
I mean, I guess I, I like I probably could be the sales rep in, in the OR. Maybe. Right. <laughs> I think I could figure that yeah, one out. Spe- but like, your specialty isn't yeah, running a company. Exactly. Right. Your specialty is. I mean, I'm sure sometimes you wear kind of a hat like a surgeon consultant would mm-hmm. be, where you say, "Oh, that product may work really well, but it would be difficult to use For because sure. you know what All it's like time. to get surgery." Yeah. But also, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is how we first met, and um, you, you're obviously filling this role more and more these days. But you kind of are the educational face yes. of the company. Yeah. Because you can talk to surgeons yep. as a surgeon, yep. obviously. So that I kind of, when I talk about my role now is like medical and scientific affairs, in my head, I have it broken down into sort of like four big categories. So, so one of the categories is exactly what you just said. It's kind of this like outreach category. Like one of the things I love about this job is I'm still constantly talking to surgeons. I'm like strategizing about what they need, like what's going right in their cases, what's going mm. wrong, like talking like as a peer. Um, all the time, whether it's like in person, on a Zoom, we talk about bone grafts because lots of surgeons know a lot about bone grafts, but a lot don't, or they like kind of use what they're trained on, or it's hard to keep up with the literature for everything. So if something new comes out, like I'm letting people know about it, um, even if it's not ours, if it's like a good paper from some other company, like, and people need to read it, like I try and make sure that gets into the hands of like the surgeons I interact with. Um, And then, yeah, like doing educational events, like journal clubs for residents or, um, just meeting people at conferences and like kind of this outreach like surgeon to surgeon um the second part is kind of more like training so like every day i get questions and calls from like the salespeople. um like then they want to know something about like a dbm versus like a cell-based allograft um and so i answer those kind of questions all the time and talk to all of our team about just where they can use bone grafts and like what indications like outside of spine and and Mm. just general orthopedics. Um, And then one part of my job, maybe like the third big bucket is research. So constantly thinking like, what studies do we need to do? Like what's gonna make an impact? Like I feel very strongly as does Curos that like we need level one studies on bone grafts because there's not many of them. So like we put aside a budget, like we make a protocol um, we'll compare ourselves against, you know, some of the bone grafts that have been out there for a long, long time. Um, and we make sure to, like, really get good data. And when we get it, we bring it back to the FDA um, and try and get the next indication and the next claim. And then the last one is, like, I'm kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades for all the other departments. So, like, I just consult with everybody else all the time. Like like I said, I'm always hearing from salespeople. Mm-hmm. I look at kind of all the marketing material that goes out just to make sure that it, like, looks accurate. And I, I have one example, and it's, like, kind of funny. And this is, like, a very early edit. So I can't – I hope none of the marketing people that listen to this, like, take offense. But they had, like, one – like like one one like brochure about one of our products and it said to like pick up something with a tweezer and it like just made me laugh so hard so I was like the word tweezer I'm like no that. you guys like this yeah. is not I'm like just say forceps or like surgical instruments so that's like an example of what I can look at there um, and yeah and then I help I help the you know the people that are actually doing the studies I talk yeah. with our PIs all the time like write white papers collect yeah. like interesting clinical cases and publish them and get them out. Um, like I said, I mean, like when the development team is working on something, I'm, you know, one of the earlier people that they talk to about, like, is this something a surgeon would want? Um, yeah. So it, like, I just do a lot and I like love the strategy. I love the critical thinking. I love that I still interact with surgeons all the time. Um, and I love that I'm like learning all these different parts of the business. Yeah. Well, I know we, you know, to respect your time, I know you're here for a meeting 
we should wrap soon, but I am very curious because whenever I meet anyone in industry, I think one of the biggest questions I have is how do surgeons get involved and how do you get a relationship with companies to be a consultant to have some kind of research or advisory role and you know every year that goes by in residency I'm convinced you have to like sacrifice a goat and dance around in the moonlight and turn in three circles and chant something but you have had a more unusual I guess you could say or less common path towards yeah. being in industry than most surgeons who are a consultant for this company or have a patent with that company. So maybe for any junior attendings or people in residency or fellowship who have an interest in biologic or device development and have an interest in, if not joining outright as you did, at least having some relationship with industry partners in their practice, can you give any words of advice now that you're on that side of, of the industry for do you pick people and, and tap them? Do people reach out to you? Do you just go to meetings and say hi? How, how would someone initiate yeah, an interest with I the think it's like, so it's a little bit of both. I mean, it is like, it's a relationship, right? You like kind of start dating and see where it goes. So, <laughs> I mean, I think the best way, if you like, if you are a young surgeon or that like wants to get to know a company, like do exactly what you said, right? Like stop by the booth, meet people, like use the products and, and give feedback on it, right? And if you have good feedback or feedback, bad feedback, like push it on, push it forward. Um, I think that um, some of the things that I really look for, like if I'm working on a project with a surgeon, like, and it's gonna be, you know, like, a, like all of our papers and stuff, we do one year follow up. So I expect that I'm gonna be working with someone like consistently for a pretty strong period of time. So I very much look for someone that I can like get along with, that I know is gonna be responsive, that will answer my emails. And I'm not like, I mean, I, I'm still a surgeon. Like I'm not expecting, I don't, I don't send like 20 texts a day and wait right. for a response. Like, but I need someone that's responsive and can stay on top of things and will follow through with what they say that they're going to do. Um, it's also really helpful if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, like I've been using your product for a while. And like, this is what I think of it because mm. I automatically have like a different like regard for that person. than someone that comes to me and says, I've never used this, but I want to do a study for you. And in my head, I'm kind of like, no, just like try it for a little while, like yeah. figure out how it works in your hands. Like what cases you, you like it in, like yeah. how, like see how it responds to you. And like, you know, just what your, what your outcomes look like, but kind of before we start something together, like just, just get a feel for it right. before we like jump into something. Um, for like the bigger research products projects it's super helpful to like kind of show that you have a team that can help out like i love when i get introduced to like a research coordinator or somebody like that um so then i know that like when we have patients to follow up i'm it's not just the surgeon i'm waiting on that i know the person to kind of go to yeah um but it, it is like it's about building relationships and it, i i mean i i wouldn't say that um like it could be like the most famous surgeon in the world and if it's a hard person to work with like me i personally tend to like shy away from big projects with those people mm. just because i want to make sure that we have like a you know a great a, a, like a great project teamwork together with yeah. you know hitting our endpoint um so i think yeah meet people talk to people go to booths um give feedback and then express interest got it um Last thing I want to ask you about also for the residents or fellows, trainees, people still learning rather than primarily teaching is kind of, kind of as we were, we were touching on your role as an educator now, 
Um, I want to spotlight for all the trainees listening that Dr. Sage was recently part of a panel on the Seattle Science Foundation. It's on YouTube. It's a great video, very educational if you want to see her there um, in action. But I wonder if you could talk a bit about what that experience is like, not just as the uh, corporate educator and in the panel with the researchers and the marketers, et cetera, giving them the surgeon perspective, but now as an orthopedic surgeon who now is full-time working for this biologic company, when you're going out there talking to luminaries in the field of spine surgery, for example, when your background is not in spine and trying to sell them on a product, convince them that they should listen to you, do you ever get any pushback? Do you get resistance? Have you had anyone, you know, kind of look down the nose? Yeah, I think I get more side eye from people who like don't understand why I left clinical practice. And like mm. in those cases, I'm very much like, listen, I'm board certified. Like I can yeah. still practice. Like, like this, I left with some intention here. Um, I never claim when I'm talking with spine surgeons to be an expert in spine surgery because I'm not. What I can say is that I'm an expert in bone grafts, and that I will stand behind every day. Um, like, I am very up-to-date on, well, I mean, I wrote the up-to-date article on bone grafts, if you guys read up-to-date, but I'm also up-to-date, like, I read the literature, like, I'm on top of it. I know what the companies are doing, I know who's coming up with a new product, and, like, I'm reading clinicaltrials.gov mm. to see what things are in the works and where people are trying to get indications of what they're trying to do with it. We're a global company, so I also know, like, products that aren't on label for certain things here may be in other parts of the world. So I know what results are happening in other places where they don't have that kind of, like you don't have the results here. Yeah. So when it comes to that, I'm very, very confident. I'll go head to head. And I will, I will say that there are some very smart, like spine surgeons, neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons who know a lot about biologics, but I, I will say that it's not the majority. Most people are, they think more about their hardware. They think more about their approach. They want to make sure that they're, you know, doing a good, you know, prep, um, they're doing good surgery. And so when it comes to bone graft, I think it's like further down on a lot of people's um, like list. So it's, so it's easy for me to go in and kind of talk about, yeah, just fusion rates and literature. And and I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. I'm also kind of not like a, um, I mean, I'm, 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 I, I'm an easy person in terms of like, I don't take offense when someone wants to know more than me. Um, mm. So I'm like very comfortable having conversations that, um, I don't know, if, if, if people want to talk about literature and, and teach me about things, that's great too. Happy to. Nice. Well, um, as I said, you were recently on Seattle Science. Everybody go find that video. You'll learn a lot from it. Um, up-to-date article on yeah, bone grafts. <laughs> anywhere else that listeners can find you in a, in a public forward-facing educational? Yeah, I mean, like pretty often I'll submit our research to podiums at like just, you know, national conferences. So I presented at NAS last year. Um, like we've had our some of our abstracts accepted at ISAS and just, you know, kind of across, like we presented at Castelvi where you met yeah. like a lot of the team. So you can find me at a lot of the big spine conferences, ortho conferences. 
But I also, I mean, like I said, like we, I'll do a lot of like journal clubs. I'll do like basic education, like just reviewing bone graft categories, like not branded at all, just to make sure people like, if they need that review of like osteoconductive, osteoinductive, osteogenic, like bioactive, yeah. and then like, what are your categories? Like autograft, allograft, DBM, CBAs, synthetics, yeah. like peptides, proteins. Like I, I do a lot of like that kind of education as well. So you can find me kind of like, bouncing around at different academic institutions giving um you know those kind of those kind of presentations yeah. also well so. wonderful i am not an expert in bone grafts i'm not an expert in spine surgery i'm almost an expert in lumbar drains at this point in my residency that's you're pretty good at podcasts that, pretty good at pot that's a joke for the rush residency but i i would say that i am somewhat expert in people and i will say if you're at a meeting and you see a curios booth go up say hello they are a good group of people very fun very friendly i've enjoyed meeting a lot of you at this point now uh, there's a handful of of your team down at castelvi and it's just been delightful to see you again in person and, and get to talk about your career arc and how you found yourself with the new job. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Sage, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.